One of the things I see executive directors struggle with, not just executive directors, really anyone, fundraisers, programming staff, is the idea of like, how do we balance the urgent work, the work that needs to get done right now with the long-term work, the work that we're setting the seeds for now that are going to pay off years to come. I always use, I love using the analogy of a tree, right? When is the best time to plant a tree if you want fruit and shade and all those benefits of having a beautiful tree 20 years ago, right? And when's the next best time? Today. And we need to get started today, not just in doing the things that need to get done, but in building the organizations we want to be leading 20 years from now. And that's what today's conversation is all about. I'm so excited to get started. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get things done in your organization, because you are going to change the world, and we're here to help. So my guest today is Patrick Rodriguez, who is the co-founder and co-executive director of the Georgia Coalition for Higher Education in Prison. And one very fascinating fact is he's working on thinking about not just like reflecting on what he does or his actions, but what he reflects on, what he thinks about, how he spends his mental time and space. And I know that's going to show up in our conversation. So Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Cindy. It's really great to be here in some time, and I'm just really excited for today's conversation. Same. And we'll kind of get started because I think your journey to the nonprofit sector is a little unique and also very personal to the work that you're doing in the organization that you're working with. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your own story and journey? Yeah, thank you so much. So everything I do is really intertwined with the experiences that I've had in the past. And so my story, well, I mean, it begins when I was born, right? So I was born and I lived my life, et cetera. But in about 2013, things kind of took a turn for me. I was at Kennesaw State University and I dropped out, literally stood up out of class and I walked out and I started to partake in activities that led me to getting incarcerated multiple times in 2014. From about 2014 to 2015, I spent around 10 months, uh, close to 11 months. I was arrested in three different counties in Georgia, once in Alabama and once in Tennessee. I was out for about a year from 2015 to 2016. And then in June 23rd, 2016, I got arrested and then I was eventually sentenced and I spent 42 months in the Georgia Department of Corrections. Which led you to the work that you're doing today, right? Because you are working with incarcerated populations. Tell me about the experience of co-founding and leading a new organization that does feel so personal, because I do think a lot of founders have that personal connection to their work in one way or another. What was the experience like founding an organization? Yeah. So before I get into that, I'd like to kind of just backtrack for just a second, because that's kind of the really high level of the experiences that I've had. And you talked about sowing the seeds of growth. And I think that the seed of education was sown into me when I was really young. Um, So I was like six or seven. I just learned how to read. And my grandma gave me this really big blue book. And she said, here, Mimo, you need to read this. I'm like, I I can't read this. It's like huge. But I remember trying to read it 
it was a medical book and I didn't understand anything that I was reading. And it had, when you go to the back of it, it had the indexes of the bodies where you could pull up the nervous system, the muscle system and the bones and stuff. It was like a real medical book. So I used to read that or whatever. And I didn't understand what that meant at that time. But now I understand that my grandma was instilling in me that education is something that we need as a family to move from one place to the next place. And so even though I was not the first person in my family to get incarcerated, I was first generation to graduate high school, first generation to graduate from Kennesaw State University. And so there's a continual effect of incarceration as it relates to people and families and how it impacts them generationally. And so all of that to say, when I was incarcerated, I had to take a moment and think about how am I going to get past this? What is it that I need to do differently in order to continue my life in a way that is productive? And it took a lot of thinking, a lot of breaking myself down and so much that I can dive into. But the point that I would like to make really is when I was sitting there in prison and I was thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I was like, I need to go back to school. I dropped out of school in 2013. Remember, I stood up and I literally walked out and I didn't look back. And I was like, how am I going to finish my education? And so I don't know how I ended up at the camp that I ended up at or the prison that I ended up at, but I ended up taking Dr. Allred's Inside Out class through Barry College, which is it's a campus down here in Georgia. And it was only three college credit hours and it was one class and I took it. But I can happily say that those three college credit hours, I was able to successfully apply to my bachelor's degree, to which I finished about six weeks ago. And so really, (laughs) thank you so much. It took me from 2008 to 2000 and this year, whatever it is, about 14 years. And so when you talk about like consistency and the seeds of growth and like things coming into alignment for you, things came into alignment for me. And so in experiencing education while I was incarcerated, it was great, but it was one experience as it relates to post-secondary education. And I wasn't able to partake in anything else before that. And when I got out, I found that a little bit troubling. I was like, how is it that we're not able to get meaningful impact with education on a larger scale? And so I came across a group of individuals, came across professors, I came across prison education administrators, I came across my other formerly incarcerated peers, and we were all just meeting as a group in 2020. We were meeting as a group, we were discussing things, we were talking about how we can expand education, how we can support people upon release, how we can build the program, how we can get creative and all these different things. And so whenever I was able to come in contact with them, I knew that that was the place for me. I didn't understand that holistically and I didn't know that I would be where I am today, but I knew that these were the people that I wanted to be surrounded by with because they took me in with an ethic of care. And so whenever you function with an ethic of care, that means that you're not looking at somebody for what they've done. You're looking at somebody for who they are. And so as somebody who has a criminal record, there's obviously a ton of barriers to which I and other people face. Whenever people come at you and see for who you are, then I think that that can start bringing up. Well, I think that's really important. I mean, there's a level of trust and faith in that process, but also surrounding yourself with good people and knowing that you're not doing something alone. I don't know if you want to expand on either of those topics, because those are two things that really stood out for me as you were talking, like you are bringing your experience and your expertise to the table, but you also surrounded yourself with other people who had that ethic of care, but also skills and knowledges that I think were, or knowledge, no pearl, (laughs) that were important to your journey. And starting in that place, probably not having much clarity on what exactly you were building together, but diving into that process. So pick your poison, choose and tell me what you want to expand on. Yeah. So I want to talk about experience, right? So I think a lot of nonprofits are centered around helping others. 
most of the time, well, like 99% of the time, they're mission driven and they have a vision to which they would like the world to come, right? And so one thing that I think is really important about individuals of any demographic, of any marginalized community, et cetera, whenever you have a nonprofit that is focusing on that particular group of people, the experience of those people that are impacted by the trauma is the number one thing in order to build a successful nonprofit later, in my opinion. And so like as somebody that has the direct experience, I know what it's like to get arrested, to represent myself in court, to get denied parole, just all of these different experiences, which are just unique, not just unique to me. And there are other people who have been through them, but it's like this experience has said, okay, so I know what it's like inside of there. So I know a little bit about what it is that those individuals may need as it relates to what we're building on the outside, because other people may be two or three degrees of separation away. And so when you're two or three degrees separation away, that means that what is enacted isn't necessarily centered around what that person's experience may be, almost like a scholastic point of view, right? Almost an academic point of view. And so as somebody that's been directly impacted, surrounding myself with good people was super important to my growth and development, right? And Dr. Thomas Fabizak is the other co-executive director, and we co-lead this together, and we do share the executive director title. And I'm really happy to say that. And I think the reason is because we understand the balance of those who are not directly impacted and those who have been um, directly impacted. And a lot of this comes from the origination of one of my really good friends and confidants, my brothers, Jay Holder, who is also really instrumental in building and designing these nonprofits in the way that we respond to incarceration and the carceral experience overall. And so with the experience that I had and with the experience that Dr. Thomas Fabisak had, we were both nominated to take the nonprofit and then, okay, guys, do what you do. And I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, oh my gosh, nominated. Why am I nominated to do this? I don't even know. I don't even know if I believe in myself. I have self-doubt and all this kind of stuff. All of those things that I think we all struggle as nonprofit leaders. And so that happened around right around November, December of 2020. So after working with them for six or seven months, we're like, okay, how can we take this to the next level? Then the strategy started to come into play, right? Then started to thinking about what it is that we need to do to build this, to make it scalable, to make it sustainable, to have an actual project and all of those different things. And it didn't just happen overnight. Thomas and I, we took a step back and we said, hey, let's come together and let's think about this holistically. Let's think about number one, what are our capacities as it, as it was a volunteer and still is a volunteer thing that we do. And then number two, how is it that we can implement this at a rate that causes sustainability? And so for us, whenever you start a nonprofit organization, you do know that you have either an executive director or co-executive directors, whichever your structure might be. And then you have to build a board of directors and then you have to put in your bylaws. And that doesn't take like one day or like one month. You got to vote on all these things and all this stuff. And so I said, how about this? For the first year, let's just concentrate on that. Let's do a few public facing things, let people know what we're doing. But instead of like trying to raise money and jump around and do this and this, let's look at building a solid board of directors and big shout out to our co-presidents, Stacy and Pam, who are absolutely fantastic with the board. And then also, what is it that we need to do to put into place for bylaws for us to function as an organization? And so really, that's what 2021 was all about for us. Okay, I have a few questions, but I love that the intention of setting it up properly, which leads me to one of the questions, which is, it sounds like neither you or your co-executive director have been at the helm of nonprofits in the past. So what resources did you leverage to learn or build structure, even to have the foresight to say, okay, let's build it right from the beginning? Because 
I will tell you, there's a lot of organizations that just dive in and then get into trouble when they don't have the proper bylaws or they haven't been intentional with building their board. Like some people just pick their friends and, you know, so where did you go? How did you start to learn or become aware of those pieces and what you want it to look like? You were starting from nothing. Yeah, like I said, so number one would have been a lot of the guidance from Jay Holder. And a lot of what we're trying to do is we're trying to build equity first and foremost, right? And so how is it that we create an equitable structure? And even with our board of directors, 51% of our individuals are directly impacted. And that's to make sure that it's continuously going in direction and under the vision of those who have the direct experience. And when you're talking to funders nowadays, they ask questions like that. Is the people that you're serving, are they in leadership positions? And a leadership position to me is being at the table when budgets are being talked about. If I'm not at the table when budgets are being talked about, then leadership isn't really there. And so whenever I look at like, how did we think about and learn about strategies and processes, I have always been a strategic thinker. I had to strategically think about how to get out of prison. I literally represented myself pro se while I was incarcerated, took myself back to court, stood in front of the judge, argued my case to try to get back home. I was denied. Nonetheless, it was a weird thing that happened where I was like, whoa, I can do all of that. This person has my entire life in their hands and I'm able to have the confidence and then to figure out how to get myself in front of them, at least just to ask to come home. And my argument I thought it was great personally <laughs> off the record, but you know, nonetheless, I didn't get out. I'm glad I did it. And the reason I'm glad is because I probably wouldn't be here today had she made the decision to let me go home early and who knows where I would have been at that time. And so when I think about strategies and I think about systems, systems function in a way to which it is scalable. Individuals function in a way to where they are able to make a singular point of impact, right? And so building out a system with a strategic type of way Thomas and I looked at it and we're like, okay, so what do we need to do? Okay, so we got to have a BOD, we got to have bylaws, but like we have a checks and balances between Thomas and I to where it's like, well, how much capacity do you have? I don't have the capacity to fundraise. I don't think I can do this. I was literally last year, I was a justice policy fellow with the Education Trust. I was a part of the Georgia Association for Latino Elected Officials, their 2021 leadership cohort. I was working as a project manager for Horizon Painting and Renovations. I was working a part-time job with Common Good Atlanta. And then I was also serving as this as well, not including going to Kennesaw State University spring, summer, and fall semester. And so I had to think about, number one, what are the limits of what I have? And then number two, what are the most pressing things as it relates to this here? So I think it was kind of instinctual. And I look at, in my mind, I always try to figure out what is scalable as it relates to impact. And I mm. can't answer all those questions 100%, but I think that we've put ourselves in a really good position. And by the end of the year, we applied for $900,000 to the Bureau of Justice of Administration. We won $900,000 in November to expand correctional education in Georgia by offering pre-college preparatory courses teaching math, reading, and writing so individuals can take the ACCUPLACERS so that they can then get accepted into a degree-bearing program, either Georgia State University's Prison Education Project or Life University's Shalon Project. One week later, we received news that we won $100,000. So in the month of November of 2021, we got our paperwork for our 501 c paperwork on February 8th of 2021. By November, we had won a million dollars in grant funding. Congratulations. And you say it like it's so natural, but I do think you have something special. There's a level or a degree of patience, of willingness to do the work, knowing that it's going to pay off. Most organizations I see, they're like, let's just get in and do 
like get on the ground. Let's just go in and start doing the work. And as someone who has lived experience with, with the work that you're doing, you know how important it is to do the work, right? Like, you know, bylaws are not, <laughs> there's nothing sexy about bylaws, right? Like it's kind of like, if you didn't have that strategic perspective, that can feel like a distraction from like, quote unquote. And I say this because I feel like a lot of people would feel this way, like the work and your approach has been no, actually setting it up to scale and to do like, that is also the work. And you probably have a bit of a unicorn of a board because very often executive directors feel the pressure from their board. They feel the pressure, like being able to say something like how much capacity do we actually have? I feel like is so unique to that relationship with in managing up. So tell me a little bit more about that experience for you. I love the word that you used patience. So patience is getting beyond yourself. If there's a lack of patience, it's because you're putting yourself as a priority to any situation that there is. Oh my gosh, I I want this. You're putting yourself beyond what you probably need to put yourself, or you're responding emotionally to somebody, or you're upset because we're not doing the work, et cetera. Having patience is coming outside of yourself and saying, hey, this is what we need to do in order to enact this or that. And so whenever we had these conversations with our board, we had honest conversations. Verbalizing something is really difficult. The mind to mouth connection is not easy. I think a lot of people have a lot to say, but I'm not sure if it's the right thing to say at that right time. And so saying like, hey, do we have the capacity to do this? And then I don't know who's going to come behind and be like, you need to posh it. Okay. I don't know if I really want to be working with you. We got to relax here. You know, we have work that we need to do. And then the work is also really emotional. So let me just make something very clear. I have been through this. I do know what it is like, and I understand how pressing it is for even at this moment, as I'm recording this, there are people who are incarcerated, who have a lack to mental health care, who have a lack of, of nutritional food, who are currently in solitary confinement, who have been denied parole, who are serving life sentences, who are sentenced to death row. All of that stuff is happening right now. And I think that there is an urgency to act on those things, but I can't just go into prison and start helping somebody immediately. I have to work with the Department of Corrections. I have to work with the Department of Community Supervision. I have to have community partners that can offer services that I might not be able to offer. And I have to build those partnerships. So when those people are either A, they're impacted by us when we go in and teach courses, or when they come home, I'm set up in order to do that. And so whenever you step back and you look at that, you have to step back two and three times to understand the scale of what that actually means. And so number one, people aren't just going to work with you because you just say, work with me. You have to build relationships. You have to build trust. You have to build sustainability through leadership. And people want to see that in order to invest in you. But also at the same time, whenever people are starting nonprofits, because it is a lot of times with their friends, with their board of directors, they might catch a check. They might catch 40,000 or 10,000 or 50,000. Like, oh my gosh, this is the most money. We're going to make so much impact, et cetera, which is absolutely amazing. You have to do those things 100%. But at the same time, if the person who's put at the executive position or co-executive position, like Dr. Thomas Favazak and I, if we are not trusted fully to carry out the mission, we shouldn't be the people in that position. And I really, really do believe that. I want you to talk a little bit about what's next. You've seen incredible growth from planting those seeds in what like the short medium. Now your reality for this organization is completely different than it was two years ago. So how do you start thinking about what you're doing today 
for two years from now? Yeah. So first off, I'm really excited for today. Today's a huge day. <laughs> Dr. Thomas and I have been volunteering our time, et cetera, and we don't really have staff. Today, we're putting out three positions, academic director, reentry coordinator, and grants and opera, three full-time position with benefits. So like, so, so let me just state that right there. And, and I'm so excited for today because what we understood is now that we have the structure that's there and we've acted really fast over the past three days. Like I've been up a lot of nights working on these applications, going back and forth with Thomas. We've just been bam, 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 bam. But now we, I had the conversation with Thomas. And I said, hey, okay, what do we need to do next? We can think about three and five years from now, but what do we do need to do that's urgent right now? I said, we need to work on delegation and team building. I said, so, so we can worry about everything else later, but that three and five years, it's already happening. We have a responsibility to the Bureau of Justice of Administration. We have a project that we have to carry out. That's there for the next three years. We are good to go. So let's not get so overly consumed with the more of the impact that we need to do when really we need to be focusing on the team. And so we have a fellowship coordinator as well, who we're actually soliciting for four fellows here in Georgia. We pay them $2,500 stipend for six months worth of work. These are directly impacted people who have a commitment to growth and we're bringing them on and we're going to have to do a couple of things there. We have, And so point that I'm saying that is like, we have a team now. Well, that'll be starting once we hire people. And so like, how do we function as leading a team? Me and him working together to lead each other is one thing, but leading a team is completely different. And then how do we make it in a way to where the processes are there? I can't answer that question necessarily, but what I can say is that is our focus right now. As it relates to the mission, we understand, number one, that we work with universities, but we're also looking at understanding what it means to work with technical schools as well. So schools such as Central Georgia Technical College or North Georgia Tech, Atlanta Technical College, ATC, and we work with Life University, Georgia State University in traditional four years. But how do we bring those schools in as well? Because they too are impacting individuals who are incarcerated. And what are the different facets of education? And so when we think about strategy, bringing them on in an intentional way to number one, understand what are their needs? What is it that you do understand about the education and incarceration process? What is it that you don't understand about the education and incarceration process? And then can we come together and fill those gaps and figure out how it is that we can build together? That is, I mean, it's an immediate need, but your intentionality behind how you think about building a team and delegating and creating structure to an organization is also long-term thinking. And I love that about you. I think you so love, like so well balance those two, which is like, we have this urgent need. We have something we need to take action on now, but let's do it well. Let's do it with an eye to the future as well as to today. And I really, to me, that's what I want our listeners to focus in on is that you're building for today's needs and future needs and looking at setting it up right from the start, which is what you did with spending a year or, you know, however long working on your bylaws, working on the board, working on those foundations. But Patrick, I really appreciate you spending the time with us and sharing this because I think so often, as you said before, like we all see the urgency in our work and in our sector. And it's so hard to balance that with the intentionality and the patience and slowing things down that you've talked about. So I really appreciate you sharing that with our audience. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I guess if I could just make a lot of last point in terms of like how it is that you think all the scarcity versus abundance. 
right? Functioning with a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. I just know it's going to come. I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know it's on the way versus scarcity is like, oh my gosh, this is the only thing we're ever going to have. And that would create a different level of thinking. And so transitioning that thinking over is really important. And I've lost so many different times in my life, gone from like whatever to zero to zero to zero, barely having anything. And that it's like, but it keeps coming back. So I take that into all of the spaces that I go into. And then one last point, I have to shout out Bernadette Mack. When I first got out, she's an executive coach and she coached me for free. She put me through her entire curriculum because I had a compelling story and she's like, I just want to help you. And hopefully this can help you out. And so I would not be doing her justice if I did not um, mention her today and all of the other people and the teams that are absolutely fantastic. Thank you for all of the work that we've been able to accomplish here in the state of Georgia. Amazing. Patrick, thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. Just before we wrap up, where can they connect with you if they want to learn more about the work you're doing? Yeah. So a couple of places you can follow me on Instagram, which is Patrick Lee Rod, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-L-E-E-R-O-D. Or you can just shoot me an email if you want to talk, patrickleerod at gmail.com or patrickleerod at outlook.com or on Twitter, Patrick Lee Rod. I tried to take all of them. Even I love it. House. So you can do that. And then obviously you can find our organization at www.gachep.org. That's gachep.org. And we're always looking for donations or volunteers and anything like that would help further the mission of higher education in prison here in the state of Georgia. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Thank you.